Before we start this newest episode of the Save and Work podcast, I got to give a shout out to the newest, the first Patreon subscribers. And they are, as promised, coming up right now. So first shout outs for the patrons go to Gabriel Rotana, Nicholas Garces, Eugene Smith, Harrison Chicas, Oscar Gomez, Ronald Rojas, and Shannon Smith. Shannon Smith, as a matter of fact, has been a previous guest and is a guest on this episode of the podcast as well. Thank you all so much. Again, that's Gabriel Rotana, Nicholas Garces, Eugene Smith, Harrison Chicas, Oscar Gomez, Ronald Rojas, and Shannon Smith. The first patrons, Patreons, thank you all so, so much. The show is, is growing because of because of you all and you all, all, all the rest of my listeners, the show, you all will benefit from, from, from their contribution. So give it up for them. You can join the Patreon community yourself for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com backslash saved and woke. Again, that's patreon.com backslash saved and woke or just search saved and woke on the Patreon app thank you all so much for your support up to this point and for considering becoming a patron it means so so much i'm really excited about what i'll be able to do um, with you all's increased and continued support love you all so so much before we get into the social justice content regarding the movie Queen and Slim, I did want to give my Christian take on the movie. And I just want to say that this, that Queen and Slim, although it is a great film, it is definitely a secular movie with a lot of swearing, violence, and nudity. And if you know that that is a stumbling block for you, then you want to think twice before seeing this film. But that said, it's great. And this is a long episode, so I don't want to keep you all from the rest of this juicy content please without further ado enjoy the first save the world movie review of queen and slim you are now tuned in to saved and woke Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique Toussaint. And welcome to the newest episode of the Saved and Woke podcast. I've been very excited to get to this episode in particular today because we're doing something that I've wanted to do for a while, which is a movie review of none other than Queen and Slim, written by Lena Waithe starring Daniel Kalua and Jody Turner-Smith. Um, with me to talk about this great film are two really, really, some, some powerhouses, some low-key powerhouses out here. Um, Shanika Weeks and Shannon Smith. Shanika, go ahead and start us off. Just tell us who you are, what you do, and why you're here on the podcast today. Awesome. Well, good evening. My name is Shanika Weeks. I am the Director of Trauma, Diversity, and Inclusion. I work for Character Plus and Education Plus in St. Louis, Missouri. 
currently one of the areas where diversity and inclusion is um, much needed, one of the most segregated places in America. And so super excited about social justice, the work that we do with young people, with educators, just bringing people into awareness. And I'm here because this movie is amazing, was amazing, and um, it needed to be discussed. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Shannon, this is not your first time, but just just in case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in case. Let people know. All right. Uh, so my name is Shannon Smith. Uh, I'm the, uh, so my profession, my profession, I'm the Assistant Director for Student Success and Transition uh, within the Center for Diversity and Inclusion uh, at American University here in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, also, some, some of the same. Uh, I mean, D.C., uh, very very diverse area um, but you know really making sure a lot of a lot of what I do in my job is making sure that uh, when students get to say American University uh, making sure especially our minority students uh, making sure that students feel welcome uh, especially as many are coming in uh, whether it's sexual orientation their race ethnicity where they're from uh, they are essentially they are a minority in that space so really making sure that our campus has uh, different resources to make sure that those students feel welcome uh, and not say say isolated or anything like that uh, and so overall yeah why am I here uh, because of I think because of the work I do uh, my faith and also yeah because I believe uh, this was an amazing movie and um, and just with so many of these social justice aspects uh, and a lot of the things I do it was like yeah this this needs to be discussed uh, and cannot wait to jump into it. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Oh, before we get into the conversation, I have to give a shout out to all my Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much. Y'all are the real ones. Y'all are supporting this show. Um, I'm going to, you know, actually, I'm going to make sure that I record a special. I got to record my shout outs, make sure I get them done in uh, before this just put a clip before this conversation that's what i'll do but yeah shout outs to the patreon um and also i so i promised my my youngest sister the one who taught who brought me to the movie that i would give her a shout out uh her name is leticia to say and you can follow her on instagram and give me a second give me a second mm -mm -mm. oh leticia to say all over case all one word um, one thing that she said <laughs> that was funny. So Daniel Kaluuya, he is the leading man in this in this film, and he was also star of Get Out. And my sister, when we sat down to watch the movie, she she leaned over to me and she was like, "Hey, I like seeing the actors in Get Out in other movies because it lets me know that they're okay." <laughs> That gave me a little chuckle. One, because it was silly and because I can't completely relate. I was like, yeah, man, they made it out. <sighs> he did indeed get out. Um, so without further ado, we're going to get right into this movie review, the Saved and Woke movie review. So one thing, so I really enjoyed the movie. And of course, I'm going to share why later. I was, after seeing the movie, some things that I heard about it 
before I saw it, it kind of surprised me. So my other sister, she said that she and my mother and other people, they said they had heard that Queen of Slim was okay. My sister straight up said that she heard, so someone told her that it was horrible, that it was a terrible movie. And I was just like, oh, okay. So I had, I mean, I had mixed feelings going initially when I saw, I think I saw like half a trailer for, I saw Daniel Kaluuya. It seemed like, you know, it was going to be, it was going to have something to do with the black experience in America. So I was excited to see it. But then my excitement was kind of, my kind of tapered off a little bit after I heard those opinions. But then after seeing it myself, I'm like, why would you, why would you think that? Um, so let's see, Shanika, tell me, just give me your general, your overall impressions. You kind of shared it a little bit already, but just what are, what are your general impressions of, of Queen and Slim? Queen and Slim is the perfect love story set in any town, USA. It is truly about trauma bonding. Um, what can happen when life hits you really quickly and you have to respond in the nature of growing to love someone when you're going through. Good. Wow. That was deep. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, Shannon, what about you? Uh, so, so I want to kick off one second as to so I had a, a feeling going into it where like one similar uh, I was hearing sort of mixed reviews as well. I heard people say it was it was I don't know everything from like one of the movies you must see this year all the way to people being like, no, it's horrible. And then people in between being like, it's it's meh. Uh, I heard a lot of meh and it's actually not good, which really surprised me. Um, but I'll say what sort of got me even at the beginning uh, that really had me like, man, why do I have to do it like this? Uh, was because I went to go see it on my birthday, which was, which was great by myself. <laughs> but, what, but what sort of got me at the beginning was uh, I felt like I could only see one. Uh, and I was like, I'm either going to see Harriet or I'm going to see Queen and Slim. Uh, and I hated that feeling that, you know, that it feels like, because it, it sort of expands, you know, to other things, uh, you know, whenever we feel like, oh, uh, you know, uh, we have a, a great black director or black owned business or something that feels like we, we have to make them compete, uh, compete with each other when we could all thrive together. Uh, granted, I only had time in the day to see one movie, though, so, that, so it had to go down that way. But, but that was my feeling even going in. I was like, oh, I hate that I have to choose. Like, I can't, I can't just see both and support both, uh, which I mean, I, at some point I will see Harriet but I felt like I had to choose. Uh, uh, and so with that, uh, with overall, like the impression of the movie, uh, I mean, I thought it, I thought it was great. Uh, one, uh, just a, just a shout out because we're in this age. Well, I mean, I say this age now where like, just finally, I feel like the full spectrum of blackness is being appreciated. Like I love the fact they had two dark skin leads. It's like, where they do that at? <laughs> like, and, and I'm so, you know, and I'm so happy about that. Uh, not that I would have been mad in any other case, but it was just like, because when you have like two dark skin leads and just, you know, many other aspects, uh, it made me, I think it made me think of Moonlight a little bit, the movie Moonlight, because you can't just come in there with any old camera and lighting. Like you really have to make sure your camera, your lighting, 
you know, that's something that just makes the skin pop and, you know, just everything like that. Uh, so that really made me appreciate it. I love the movie. Uh, and then even just something as simple as that, because the work that you have to put in, uh, like I said, even around lighting or just different things like that, um, and not trying to put people in stereotypes, you know, that, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, some of the stereotypes are just like, oh, you know, dark-skinned people are, I don't know, tough. And, you know, this and that. It wasn't just throwing people into those stereotypes. It's like the full spectrum of blackness where, where this shade, uh, we look like this, yet we are afraid, you know, we have these fears or, you know, whatever it might be. So, uh, so yeah, I really appreciated the movie overall for that. Uh, and I guess one last thing even going in, uh, shout out to Lena Waithe. Uh, is it, that's how I say it, Waithe? Yeah, definitely shout out to her uh, because uh, I love watching, watching the show Master of None. And so she's a, she's a character in that show. Uh, but it's just been amazing to see her go from uh, a couple I guess a couple scenes in the show to having an even bigger role to now even outside of movies and shows. Like, I mean, you see, she's becoming a big figure. And then within this, she wasn't just somebody in the movie, uh, you know, which is great if you're in it, but she was actually, uh, what was she co-directing or producing or, uh, she wrote or the screenplay. I'm sorry. She wrote the screenplay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she wrote the entire screenplay. So just like shout out to Lena Waithe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely feel everything y'all were saying. I'm so glad I brought you all on um, to just give more, more color and to illustrate more completely why this movie is great. Because I agree with you all. I believe the movie was great. It spoke to me. It, it captivated me in a way that... I'm not sure a movie ever has before. I think Get Out got really close. And one thing I was sharing with someone else is that I think that Get Out and Queen and Slim are two sides of the same coin. Mostly because of the reason why I like it. Because I mean, if I'm talking, if I was going on if the, if one of the main if the main reason why I liked it was the same reason that you liked it, Shanika, and then and then like Get Out was clearly not a love story, mm-hmm. right? It was a love story gone horribly wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I liked about both films is that, to me, they harness and portray the experience of oppression and fear of violence that black people live so well. I can't say anything else about that because there's definitely a line that's really easy to cross from between powerful and impactful and just campy and overkill. But I feel like both films do that in a very good way, whereas Get Out is sort of a more creative, uh, fantastical story. Queen and Slim is deeply, deeply rooted in reality. Mm-hmm. And that is what I, I loved about it. What I loved about it is, is that I was like, everything about this movie, everything that happened, every all of the the thoughts and reactions of the main of, of 
of Queen Slim. I was like, that is exactly how I would react. That is, or if I, if I wouldn't react that way, I said, I know somebody who would react that way. Um, one thing I liked about it is that it wasn't, it wasn't also, it was it also wasn't too preachy because I didn't get like, although um, Jody's character uh, Queen was a lawyer in the movie, um, Daniels, he just seems just like a regular, a regular brother. Mm-hmm. He just, he just, you know, finally got a hit on Tinder and he was like, okay, we're about to go out, go out to eat and have a good time. And before we continue, I want to say, I have to say this, spoilers ahead. Spoilers, y'all, y'all give y'all freedom. Like, I can't talk about this movie. I can't ask y'all none of my questions without, without spoiling it for people. So look, if you have not seen Queen and Slim and you don't want it to be spoiled, stop this podcast. I have plenty of other episodes. I have plenty of other content for you to go check out. But yeah, I just, I loved it for its ability to truly capture and stay, just stay real with the, with the portrayal of these people, these real, these basically these real life people who are pretty much representations of all of us um, going through, going through life, like in a very, very, in the situation that we all fear and hope that we don't ever get ourselves into. All right. Um, So, to get the conversation moving, I'm gonna stop being vague and, and I'm just gonna talk directly about it. So Queen and Slim opens up, they're at a date, they're on a date, um, a, kind of like a blind date because they, they met each other on Tinder. Um, while they're driving home, they get pulled over. Uh, Slim gets, yeah, Slim is driving and he's, get, he's got pulled over because he quote unquote did not, he failed to signal. While change either while changing lanes or while making a turn, the officer it looks like it's gonna be kind of all right. Um, but then the officer is like taking his time, he, he, looking like he's like doing way too much, just trying to find something in, in Slim's car, going through all the every single he has like a bunch of shoe boxes that have shoes in them in his in his trunk, and he's like going through everything. And you can just tell on the officer's face, it's like, you know, this dude is guilty. I'm I'm just gonna find what makes him guilty, and that's it. Um, anyway, they an altercation starts after Queen gets out the car. Officer gets jumpy, shoots her in the leg. Slim starts fighting, and eventually he gets hold of the hold of the officer's gun. Fires a single shot, point blank range, kills him, and the rest of the movie is them just running until they can secure safety mm-hmm. for themselves. Mm-hmm. All right. So even in that first, so I'm, I'm going to start the commentary from, because one, one of my favorite parts is, well, I started liking the movie not in my head. Well, as soon as those lights came on, their reaction with, to the lights, because it was just, I was like, yes, this is it. This is how we, we feel you can see the, the, not just the fear, and again, like it wasn't over the top. It was that you could see the fear and then also the realization that we have to be careful right now. Mm-hmm. All right. And so 
what else stood out about, about that scene? This, this is not going to be a scene by scene uh, type of review because we only had that kind of time, and I didn't take notes on every scene. But that is something that stuck out to me. So, what did what what stood out to you from from um, from that 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 scene with with the stop? Okay, so. If you all don't know, I used to be a law enforcement officer. So any law enforcement scene ever, I'm second guessing. I am going through my rules that I can remember from whenever. And I'm like, hmm, that was a justified pullover. Get that. If you're just trying to write a ticket, because let's not forget, municipalities make money from tickets. Yes. Um, and then some municipalities exploit that and exploit uh, their community to make that money, but justified stop. If he didn't signal, he didn't signal. Past that point, he was being overzealous, right? And so Queen being an attorney, I get her fight and zealousness for advocacy, but she was doing too much, justified, but she was doing too much for her identity, right? So you can see people of other identities act a fool, if you will, with law enforcement. And it's not a problem, right? They can speak their mind, ask for badge numbers, they can rant and rave, and it's not a problem. Um, I think there's this, this fear, and I know that there's a fear um, on the part of law enforcement and on the part of the person being stopped. That's real. You get up every day, you put your vest on, um, you go out to protect and serve, and you hope you make it home right? Um, now, that's a choice as a law enforcement officer that you take, right? You chose that, and you had an opportunity every day as you were going for training to continue to make that choice, right? And so you do so. Um, there becomes a point where that power, um, I think at times, the desire for the tick mark, the attaboy that comes from um, a ticket, that can be a bit too much and not being able to realize or not being okay with the fact that this one isn't fruitful, right? This stop is not going to produce what I thought it would. And just being okay with that. That officer was not okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, it was hard to see Slim operate in this humility that would be reminiscent of Jim Crow, look away, um, stepping outside of like gender normative roles of being macho because that is definitely not what's needed in that position. Um, but her not doing so, right? So thinking about her being in the courtroom and advocating, she works around law enforcement officers all day long, right? So that's, that's her job to, to be and operate in that manner. Context is everything for people of color, right? And so contextually, Contextually, she missed it, right? From she missed where she was, um, and that was that was fatal, unfortunately. Um, so when I was on oh, my bash, I got one point I'm gonna add. Oh, so okay. when before I knew who was uh, the writer, and I guess I mean it doesn't really matter. I'm speaking mind. Um, so when I saw that scene, I was like, man, that that was the only part that I had an issue with was how Queen reacted to the police officer because I was like, you know what? I know you're a lawyer. I believe you're an excellent lawyer. But you know, you knew before you were a lawyer that you were Black, and you know how things are when we 
interacting with the police, you know how we, like, we, 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 we know. We know what we have to do. And so I feel like that was just the one incongruency that I had with her character, like her actions not lining up with the, with the character that we come to know throughout, throughout the movie. But I think that's, that's about it. I mean, there were other some things that I was like, eh, I could have done without. But that, I thought that was, that was the only big one. Cause it kind of, it almost kind of seemed like she was written to act that way for in the scene so that the other events could transpire, which I don't think they had to do. I was like, man, could have, the same thing could happen without you acting uncharacteristically out of pocket, you know? And uh, yeah, going, going in agreement with, uh, you know, definitely with y'all. Um, yeah. The, the idea of really showing uh, it doesn't matter your profession. It doesn't matter who, uh, I mean, you know, what your job is. Uh, your level of education, any of those things, uh, like as a black person in America, man or woman, when you are pulled over by the cops, you set all of, I mean, you know, sadly, you have to set all of that aside and your job then does not become to, uh, or your job then is not to let me prove how wrong this officer is. Your job becomes uh, surviving the interaction, strictly surviving the interaction. Uh, you know, and if you survive that interaction, then, you know, get your, get your lawyers. I mean, you can drag them, you know, all, all in and out through court. Uh, but you cannot do that six feet under, you know? Uh, and so, so to me, that was, that was just a really telling thing. Like, yeah, at the very beginning, because I'm, you know, knowing if people really saw the nuance of like, if you, you know, looking at her, uh, I don't remember what, you know, university or law school she went to, but either way, uh, you know, highly educated lawyer uh i'm sure a very successful lawyer um you know all of these things stands up for herself all these great qualities this and that then you know it's uh slim uh it doesn't say a lot a whole lot about his background but it's sort of sort of assumption is like probably maybe not college educated or you know not as educated as she is mm -hmm. uh income wise she probably makes more than he does um you know all these things so if we were just to assume class-wise we probably assume her maybe middle class maybe upper middle class and probably slim more so working class uh you know and so even within that it's like it doesn't matter your social class level of education any of that uh essentially as a black person in america it feels like we all become the same in that sort of that cop interaction uh, which is, you know, which is definitely something because we know, you know, some of, some of our counterparts, um, I mean, with still within reason, like, you know, you don't fight a cop, but even then we've seen people, um, our racial counterparts fight a cop and still survive the, uh, the interaction. Uh, but even then, you know, it's like, we don't, we feel we don't really have that freedom to be able to, uh, to do that, to, to ask all these questions. Uh, because even with him, the cop was like, you know, step out of the car, can I, can, uh, let me check your car. Uh, he can't do that without a warrant, but that fear sort of takes you over. And, and, and let's say even if Slim knows that, you're just like, I'm going to say yeah to whatever this cop says, uh, you know, so I can, so I can get out of here or go on my way home. Uh, when, you know, when, yeah, in reality, cop cannot check your car without a warrant or, uh, or what is it? Or, or I guess, yeah, without a warrant and, and I guess clear suspicion, you know, whatever it is. But, uh, but even then, he's like, sure, you know, you can check my car. 
like you know he didn't this was not a line in the movie but i'm sure sure you can check my car if if that means you don't kill me like you know uh so yeah that was definitely a, a nuanced thing bringing all of that together mm -hmm. yeah so the whole rest of the movie rests on the fact that after he shoots the officer they decide to run and i feel like that's huge i i, I liked I, I i loved the the really human portrayal that they gave these people who in our society would be labeled as criminals mm -hmm. and i'm glad that the quote-unquote criminals were the protagonists of the movie and not in a way that was hokey or overdone but it was like you know this is just the real a very realistic and I'm losing my words. It was just a very, it was a, it was a realistic portrayal of people in this situation who are used and who have come up in this system, this society that is uh, racially unjust, unjust, where oppression is meted out, um, not, not, not just by race, but is rooted in a racial caste system. And then like they're trying to fight against that to, to get to get real justice. And I think that's important to see. I think it's important because I mean, we already get that, but I think that was important for all of the non-black and brown viewers of that movie to see what's going on inside, the, inside these people's minds, to see the look in their eyes, to see the horror, to see the conflict. Um, one thing that I really liked was, because at first I was kind of confused as to why like, as to why Slim didn't just hop right in the car and was like, all right, man, we got to go. Mm -hmm. He was like, I'm trying to go home. Like, I just want to go home and see my family. And I think I'm kind of just getting, I, I, I've even gotten used to just be, seeing Black people characterized as, if not hardened criminals, just have to have this, like, criminalistic slant to just be ready for that type of situation, which is not true. It's not fair. And Slim, he's just—he's just such a sweetheart, mm. and that's what we need. We need more dark-skinned sweethearts in in movies. And I liked it because—and and it wasn't until he said he was—he was talking about going to to see his family. And I think there was at some point he was like, he was like, um, "Why are you talking to me like I'm a criminal?" And then she said, "You are a criminal." And then there was this look of horror as he realized what that meant and i believe that the look that what i was seeing was not just like he just realized oh i just killed a police officer which is the the race neutral explanation it was like oh no i killed a police officer i am a black man who just killed a police officer and things go a very specific way for people in my situation there's only one way this will go if i hand myself over to the quote unquote justice system and so i really 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 like that any points on that before we move on yes. Go ahead, it's so funny um shannon you said that you had to make a choice between harriet and queen and slim mm -hmm. but little did you know you were going to be watching right this woman lead yeah. <laughs> somebody <laughs> else towards freedom right uh -huh. towards freedom and so it's like so interesting that what was going on 400 years ago mm. turn on a blue light and we're right back in that situation right we're right back at the point of having to run for our lives 
so that we're not a part of like this prison industrial complex. So we're not working uh-huh. <laughs> for food in closed quarters. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. right? That is so true. And, and, and even thinking of like, you know, like how, how Harriet Tubman was like, you know, not Harriet the movie, I haven't seen that, but actual Harriet Tubman, I mean, she was pulling people to freedom. Like there were, there were plenty of people who were slaves that were like, no, look, I'm not going. I know I got a bad thing going on here, but I'm not going. I'm just going to turn myself back over to Massa and, and it'll be all right. But she was actually pulling people. She's like, look, she basically put a shotgun to them herself and said, look, either you go to freedom or you die right here. So, and I mean, to an extent, you know, Queen was sort of like that. She's like, all right, you don't have a choice to stay back and this and that. Like, you're coming with me or we're going here. We're doing this together. You don't really get to stay behind. Uh, and as you mentioned, Harriet, like I even, uh, I know we'll get to this a little later on, but uh, but there are definitely some parallels in this movie with the Underground Railroad. Uh, you know, so I know, I know we'll hit on that a little bit later, but just wanted to bring that up to make sure we hit on that point uh, when we get to it. Yeah. Dang, Shannon, I want to stay in first. <laughs> you did. But, but yeah, I was saving that one, but you brought up Harriet, you brought it into the conversation. Uh-huh. So, and, but it took a minute. You probably, I'm, y'all seasoned movie watchers and social justice professionals might have picked up on it sooner than I did. Because I believe it was, they, they stopped in a few places where people, rec- well, actually, I feel like every black person that they saw knew who they were. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wait, y'all the people that just took care of that cop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're feeling a little queasy about us talking about some protagonists that just took the life of a police officer, let it be known, if it makes you feel any better, that that police officer was said to have had already killed one unarmed black person in the film, if that helps you feel any better all right, um, but they're, they're, first they met just one, uh, a son and his father who knew, they, who knew who they were and where the son, the father was, you know, uh, quite a boisterous gentleman and was very, very, you know, he seemed inspired, although he seemed like, he also seemed like a straight up fool, but he was inspired by them. They went to one other place where I believe somebody recognized him and I think the next stop, they just, it was like, you know what, look, man, we're running, we've been driving for a while. There was this like this nightclub in the middle of this very very rural area. Juke joint. <laughs> yeah, juke joint. Yeah. <laughs> say what? Say say that again, Shanika. That's what you call a hole in the wall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most definitely a hole in the wall juke joint. And they were like, you know what? We're just gonna stop here, despite their better judgment. And when they were there, they slowly realized that everybody in there knew who they were, right? But then it was like, but they're safe. And then that was the point where I was like, oh, snap. And I took out my phone out because I was taking notes. And I said, it's the Underground Railroad. <laughs> and yes, they kind of, yeah. And it's, it was powerful to see the continuity of the, the Underground Railroad of old and the ones that we need to, and the ones that still exist that would exist now if you were in that situation. And it's also very, uh, such a chilling reminder of how 
because like of all the progress that has happened, there is it's, that was a very chilling reminder of how little things have have changed. That these that these um, underground systems are are still necessary, and it also just gave me such an appreciation for the underground Railroad because I feel like the Black History Month and the way Black History was presented to me from my from the curriculums that I was taught that was written by white people by Christian white people um I just I don't know I just the the term underground railroad is is almost like white noise to me like oh yeah underground railroad it happened that was a thing that they utilized to, to, for slaves to come to freedom but it's like this that was crucial to their survival mm-hmm. and to their ability to just exist in this world, in their black bodies as themselves, free. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. That's all I got to say about that. I think so too. When you think about people doing this work and being woke and I'm an ally, yeah, you may be ally-ish, right? But like, are you taking risks to ensure someone else is well? right yeah I, I think a lot of folks that you know marching that's one thing um having conversations that's another thing but actually putting your physical safety at risk for someone else i don't know how many woke folks today will do so mm-hmm. they won't even have uncomfortable conversations with their folks right mm-hmm. on behalf but in private, okay, yeah, that was really messed up. So like, when you think about the people on the Underground Railroad who were willing to step out there and say, this is super wrong, um, this is unfair, I can't stand for this. Like, so when you think about the Christians that were like, wait a minute, I, I just believe what I read and this is inconsistent. And uh, when I get there, I want to make sure my name is written and I can get in. Like, I, I, so I believe I need to be a part of this Underground Railroad. I think this is my entrance ticket in there, right? Like, I need to be able to do this thing. And so um, it's very interesting uh, how people are, are, are thinking about their tickets in, right? And, and what they will have to say um, in reference to the least of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, like uh, what, what jumps out there as well is uh, like, what's right versus what's legal uh because because like when you hit on that i feel like or, or not i feel i mean i know like slavery has always been wrong yet it has been legal you know so so therefore yeah, still legal. say what it's still legal oh yeah yeah still legal yes yeah, we look at like the prison industrial complex and all these different things um but but yeah and i think that's where you see that sort of that that conflict and and maybe and maybe to an extent that's where true uh maybe true allyship is or true justice is, like maybe when, when what's right and what's legal comes into conflict uh, and you're choosing, maybe you're choosing what's right, what's righteous over what is legal, you know, the laws of the land. Uh, and, you know, obviously, yes, we are not advocating for murder or anything like that, but, but as, we make, as we make that parallel of, uh, you know, the Underground Railroad, like legally, uh, those who were slaves or those who were transporting slaves to freedom, you were stealing property. It was like, you know, so that's like the equivalent of me breaking into a jewelry store and stealing millions of dollars worth worth of jewelry. 
everyone would be like, hey, Shannon, that's wrong. You can't take that, you know, and put it somewhere. Okay, right, you know, but when you think about it, slaves were treated as, I mean, slaves were property. So therefore, when you're freeing slaves on the righteous end, like you are getting another human being out of bondage into a place, you know, to be safe and live the full life of what a human should be able to do. That is what's right. That's what's righteous. That's what's just. Legally, you are breaking the law. You are stealing property that belongs to someone else. Uh, and so, you know, just sort of hitting that parallel. So when we're like this, like, I mean, I think given the circumstances, like, you know, no one's life should be lost, but we see like given the circumstances, hey, these people were in self-defense. Uh, so the community felt this is right to make sure that we can get them somewhere safe or, or wherever they're supposed to go. Uh, legally, you know, they're like, hey, you broke the law, you killed a person uh, because, you know, why? Because they were probably going to kill you first, but you killed this person. And so, you know, legally, you're wrong. So, uh, yeah, so I definitely see that conflict of like what's right versus what's legal. Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up because now that you mentioned it, everything that happened to them, including, and I say it's spoiler alert, including their death at the end of the movie when they were shot, mm -hmm. uh, everything that happened to them was legal. Mm -hmm. Like the, the officer didn't technically break any laws. Like there's not a, there's not a law against being a jerk. <clears throat> Um, and there's not a law about getting out of pocket with somebody. Um, and so up until that point, except, except for when he just pulled his gun out on him for just for questioning him, which I still think that if that had gone to, let, let's say he wasn't killed, if that had gone to, that had gone to court, I'm pretty sure they, that the, like, just from my experience of seeing these situations play out, the police, you know, would have investigated themselves and they would have found that everything was done according according to to regulation so in that sense him pulling out the gun for quote-unquote no reason would have been eventually deemed okay um however like you said shannon that it was not that justice was not carried out and i think if you watch it when you watch that movie you will clearly see like justice was was not served and i think for 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 as for christians we have to understand that we can't just mentally ascend to these righteous ideas and not act them out and not create systems that make sure at least to the best of our ability that the righteousness of god or the justice of god will be carried out and in the bible righteousness and the words for righteousness and justice particularly god's righteousness and justice is the same word I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar, so I ain't gonna try to pronounce, it. but they're the same word. In, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it's the same word for righteousness and justice. And um, Pastor Eric Mason talks about what he says that there is no attribute of God that is not also an action of God. So if we are righteous and we have God's justice in us, why would we then not carry that out? And a huge piece of well, one thing I think it's really, I, I've recently been like convicted on, on my, my lack of reading the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, you know, is characterized as weird. People got a lot of weird names. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of law, a lot of rhetoric, just a lot of weird stuff that nobody wants to get to. We want to get to that grace and mercy. <laughs> That's in the gospels. 
that's in the New Testament. And if I'm in the Old Testament, I'm reading Psalms and Proverbs, and I'm quickly going back to Corinthians. But you need to, I was at the uh, Courageous Conversations Conference um, put on by the Jew 3 Project in, uh, last August, and one of the speakers says, you need, if you do not read the Old Testament, you do not know what justice means as it relates to God. Because in a lot, in a lot of, like, even in, the, even in the Levitical law, which a lot of people consider as archaic and too harsh, there was a lot of retribution and reconciliation that was worked into the law. So if someone stole from you, it wasn't just like, oh, he, he, he broke the law, throw him in jail. It was like, well, if, you, if that person who was a thief is thrown in jail, these people are still without their goods that they need to survive. And it's like, there was no middle class um, society back then was like people were if you were either a king or you were you were either a monarch or nobleman or you were dirt poor probably about on the verge um, of starvation and so people needed what they had and so if someone stole something it had to be um, returned not just what you stole but I guess you know they didn't say this back in Bible times but for pain and suffering you had to restore seven times what you stole and that is retribution that is and that, that's the type of justice that God is working on. And so it seems like basically there needs to be an equal, like the, what, what, when there's an offense, whatever, whatever the punishment be, you know, the punishment basically has to, has to fit the crime to bring it into today's language. And like when you see the fact that, yes, they killed a police officer, but, would, but was gunning them down, was that, was that justice? Was that was justice carried out considering the the circumstances that led to that situation? And then, obviously, of course, I feel like we the consensus here is that the answer is no. When when you think about like justice in terms of like this credible threat, right? So you have someone that has fired their weapon with a for no reason, right? You can say with malice at that point in time. There was no reason for him to, to fire his weapon. Um, so if I am at a point where I'm trying to get free, I'm really wanting to neutralize that threat, right? So, you know, everyone knows law enforcement, why don't you shoot shots that injure? You're not supposed to do that. He wasn't trying to do that, right? So when you pull out your weapon, um, and not to, you know, give away, but so much. When you pull out your weapon, you really have to believe that you are an imminent threat, right? That there's, that there's danger. When you fire your weapon, you are supposed to, at that point in time, really be trying to protect yourself or others. Someone that you believe is really going to do bodily harm to you or someone else. And at that point in time, that was not the case. Now, if it was, if he was not an officer, if it was a carjacking, there wouldn't have been a problem. Right, so there's this piece that the person who holds the badge is supposed to be the person upholding the law, right? And who's supposed to be doing the right thing. Um, you know, are there stand your ground laws for law enforcement? No, because there, there's an assumption that law enforcement officers are doing what they're supposed to do, right? And so what, it, what is a retribution for a citizen at that point in time who's been wrong? Right when there is history, so you you know we say this law enforcement the totality of the circumstances taking the totality of the circumstances where you just you just shot her for no reason. There's no way we're gonna make it out of this thing alive, right? A reasonable person would believe we're gonna die here today, right? If we don't do something different, um, 
that whole situation to me, how could you have fixed it at that point in time? Like the law enforcement officer, how do you fix it? He couldn't fix it. He could not have fixed that situation. So it just really got out of hand. It, it spun out of hand. I think at the point in time that he pulled his gun out, right? And it just heightened the entire situation. From a point in, in punishment for that crime, what would have been fair, right? How do you get fair and just from unjust? Yeah, it, uh, it, it makes me think of uh, one is like, as we're mentioning that, so it's, it's funny how there's just different terms and in the end it's all sort of stemming from some of the same thing because because uh, because where i'm at now we're we're going through a lot of something called restorative justice and so uh you know so so we're doing a lot of that and and i'm seeing uh from from what Juan was mentioning from the uh like things from the old testament where you know how do you like this person stole something throwing them in jail is not really the thing because they still have to like essentially do something that, that is I guess helping the community because they they took something from the community, so add that back with interest or you know or whatever it is, um, mm -hmm. and so even like within restorative justice, you know we're trying to do things where people realize, hey, there's a community, you're all a part of the community, so even if you wrong the community, we don't just throw you away. Uh, you know the thing is, we we figure you're important to all of us, so make you realize what you did was wrong you come up with how am I going to make this right because I genuinely want to, the community is depending on me, uh, they value me, they wouldn't throw me away, they just want me to make it right. Uh, and of course, you know, within reason, because yes, if someone truly is like a threat to the community, and I mean like deadly threat, then you do have to resort to some of those things where, okay, maybe this person, we do have to isolate this person, whether that's jail or, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, and then so that brings me to, to Shanika's point, it's like, yeah, like, but what do you do when, even if there are those in authority, uh, those who are assumed to be doing right, and they are harming the community, yet at the end, not only are they, essentially, I mean, they're part of the community, the cops or whatnot, uh, thinking of this particular officer, but you're also sort of like, almost like judge and jury as well, you know, so, so, there's not that piece of being like, hey, you know, you're going a little overboard. Let's talk about this uh, because we care about you. You care about us. It's like, actually, no, I, you know, like when, when we think of these, these things where um, it's really tough to be in that situation where we're saying like the restorative justice when maybe your, your mind is polluted or whatever, you know, with, with racism or prejudice or whatever these things are. Uh, and you have this power piece that allowed you to be judge, jury, and, and executioner, uh, as opposed to really feeling, you know, part of the community because you would then value others' lives. Uh, so that's just a larger thing, but that's something that we see, like, from this whole situation, if the officer felt that way, like, the thought of touching his gun would probably not even come out. He would be like, okay, you know, I pulled you over, you did wrong, talk about this. Maybe they would have had some smart mouth comments back and forth, but it wouldn't have been that type of thing where it's like, yeah, I'm really on the edge and I'm going to have to try to, quote unquote, put you down, you know? Right. But he, I think that's the piece. He wasn't a part of the community. Yeah. So yeah. when you think about how law enforcement started, you would, I mean, you would have folks who were in law enforcement who were a part of the community. Back in the day, the sheriff's wife was automatically the cook for the jail. Right, because they lived where the jail was, right? Mm -hmm. And so the wife like made sure the inmates had food. 
Mm. Like that was, it was that communal in terms of law enforcement. Like, that, so back in the day before it became the complex, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's the way it was. And so, you know, it was advantageous to not have a whole bunch of people in jail. You know, like maybe you can have a date night. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, really, you know, maybe you won't have anybody at your house that you had to watch. Um, you know, because they were criminals. But it brought it back. When I thought about what you said a second ago, that look on um, Slim's face when he said, why do you treat me like a criminal? I thought in that moment, he said, oh my God, I've managed to live my entire life and not be the stereotype. And in one second, I have now lived up to this oppressive label that I've escaped into black, dark male black adulthood, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm the very thing that I was told not to be. I w- I'm the very thing that people think I am and that I've avoided and I've made good decisions not to be. And I'm not here like even on my own, on my own decision-making, right? Like this was heat of the moment. This was a trauma-induced situation. This is fight or flight. My amygdala was like going off and I had to do this for protection. So it was one of those situations where it wasn't even a cognitive thought. Mm -hmm. It was survival. So how many other people, whether that fight or flight is over um, activated because of like community trauma or in that moment, activated because it really is a life or death situation find themselves on the run in you know law enforcement um custody without it being a cognitive conscious thought Mm -hmm. right and and how other people put us in that situation and from a sort of practices standpoint there not being an opportunity to have a conversation about what were you thinking at the time, right? So, you know, when you talk about RP, those, those standard RP questions, what have you thought about since then? You know what I mean? So all of those pieces that make sense of restorative practices and help people meet out, what should you do? How can you make this right? Um, yeah, I'm all about RP. That's, that's my jam. Yeah, that's what's up. That's what's up. One, one thing I just... This this movie is so great. We've been talking for almost an hour, and we've pretty much been talking about one scene. The very first scene. <laughs> or maybe the second, I guess. The second. We've been talking about one. I have mentioned a few other scenes, but we talked about, we just spent like 45 minutes talking about one scene, and that's just how much, that's how, that's, that's what good filmmaking is. It can pack so much, and good storytelling, it can pack so much reality, so much truth into these, little moments so we don't i don't want to make this too long there's a i have i still have a ton of questions to ask you what i think i'm gonna have to do is just um in this the the regular episode um shortly and then the extra content the rest of our conversation can just be well it just have to be a bonus content which if you're a if you're a patreon member you you got it it's yours and if it's not I mean, it's open to everybody, all right? Um, but so I, I want to get into, there's, some, there's, there's a lot of symbolism in this film. Um, and one of the things that I, I'm not sure, if I was like, am I just imagining this just because this film is dope and I wanted to connect to everything? But so I was back at that juke joint when 
they, cause like when, when Slim realized that people recognized him, he was like, yeah, it's time to dip. It's time to be out. And at that point in time, Queen was like, no, I think, I think we're, I think we're safe. And when they just started to enjoy themselves and dance, it was like this slow motion scene of everybody, of everybody dancing. And to me, I was like, there's this, there's a pretty popular painting of people, uh, of, uh, of a juke joint or people dancing. Cause I was like, yo, there was a one lady there who was dressed exactly like one of the figures of, of that painting. And I have, I mean, I'm not, I'm not an expert in African-American art. I don't even know the name of that painting. If I was gonna Google it, I would just Google painting of black people dancing to I think jazz. <laughs> and but the, the point of it is just, and I, and I think it was, it was probably from the Harlem Renaissance, I wanna say, is when it was, um, when, when, when the artist, uh, not pinned, because they didn't write it, when first created it. Um, and it, it just shows the, the, the freedom and the little, the, the pockets of freedom that black people got to, got to enjoy because in that gym joint, we were free, we could just be completely and totally our black selves. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's what that connection was. And I was just like, wow, they really worked that in there in such a subtle, and powerful way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know that. I know the picture you're talk or the painting you're talking about. And uh, and even right then, I said, I think I said the woman in the red, because I, cause I, I feel like in my mind there's like a woman in red or something. I think the woman was wearing red. Uh, maybe the one who was dancing, and she, she's like sort of pointing at them, uh, but then just was chilling, dancing or whatever. Uh, but yeah, yeah the lady. It, it's a lady um, who she has like a, a cut off top. I think, yeah, yeah, was that red? In my mind, it's red. But anyway, it reminds me of, uh, yeah, definitely reminds me of that. I think she, like, pointed at them. And it was obvious, like, I know who you are. We out here having a good time, you know, or, or like, you're safe here or whatever. Uh, but, but yeah, and and one of the things, uh, I guess a couple things come from that. It makes me think of, uh, like, recently I was reading uh, How to Be Anti-Racist. And so uh, one of the one of the things mentioned was just, like, uh, space. Uh, and so I feel like throughout the movie, I mean, the juke joint, uh, the uncle's house, uh, and like some other places, it showed you like uh, what's considered like a black space. And so uh, even within within the book, uh, you know, it was mentioned how, how black spaces are viewed. Um, and so, you know, even sometimes on a larger scale, it's like, okay, this is noticeably a black space. As a person who's not black, you were like, they might feel uncomfortable being in there. Or sometimes those spaces are even more heavily policed because it's a black space, people gathering and things like that, um, which was sort of interesting because I think many of the black spaces were not really policed uh, in this one, which feels good. I mean, I'm sure I'm probably like the black neighborhood, but I feel like the juke joint, like no cops were around, none like, you know, were like breaking in, breaking in or anything. Uh, the uncle's house. I mean, like the cop came to the, you know, came to the door, but I think that was more so because someone had given a call or whatever. Um, but it made me think of space. It also made me think of, in being a black person, how uh, I would say the 
anonymity. Yeah, the anonymity uh, that exists because, uh, and this is like from life, I can sort of attest like in being a person who uh, with work and just different places that I'm at, uh, in many cases, I am a black person in predominantly white spaces. And so, and I think it was just interesting how this sort of showed how you can, you're the same person in all those spaces, but how you stand out in different ways. Uh, because when they were in the, say, the predominantly black space, the juke joint, uh, or even like uncle's house, it was like, people were like, yo, like you stand out. I know who you are. Uh, know, you know, know what's on the news. You know, uh, even when they were at the, uh, the mechanics, uh, the mechanic shop, it was all like, people were like, yo, you know, we know who you are. We watch the news, this and that. Uh, but it's like, hey, you family or you safe here, you know, and we're just going about going about your life. Uh, whereas I think in predominantly white spaces, it can be like, okay, maybe you, you stand out, but it's really like a, you really stand out. Like I look at you, there's all these assumptions. I mean, you know, depending who, you know, who you're with, if it's friends or whatever, like you, you may be safe in that space, but you know, to an extent, there's this sort of sometimes a tenseness or, or something where it's like, uh, you're maybe not as anonymous in that space, you know? Uh, so there was just something that sort of stood out to me where uh, in these various spaces, how how they stood out or didn't. Uh, and even thinking about the car, uh, like when they got the, uh, uh, what color was it? Was it a teal or turquoise or whatever the, uh, but like the car. And they were like, you know, like we're going to be noticed in this like loud car or whatever. And he's like, no, everybody drives like that around here. Like you would, like you'd be in plain sight but you wouldn't necessarily stand out because you would, you would be flashy. Uh, but in this, say, in these spaces, you would, you know, you'd sort of be like an anonymous looking, like you wouldn't stand out. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, like, like you said, that thought process of space and safe spaces for mm -hmm. people of color, right? So versus a brave space. I think every time you step out and you are like one of the, you know, one of the brown face in a, in, in a white place, you have to be brave, right? And so you'll see us, you know, speaking up, trying to um, get our advantages um, to earn our place in that particular community, right? Like things that we have to do in order to, to survive that space. Whereas in spaces where there's already built-in community. You don't see that. Mm -hmm. You see this level of relaxedness. And it's funny to watch the two of them because on, like, educational, from the educational standpoint of identity, you, you see her and you think, okay, she's the one who has everything together based on her occupation. But for most people with social justice, bit, you, you're there because you've been wronged. You are in that field working at your trauma. Right, like, so she was working out her trauma as being an attorney, right? So that was therapeutic for her, um, to serve others in that way. Literally, yeah, uh, right. About a mom, like her mom, like that's some trauma, and she's working. Yeah, yeah. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> yes. She's working that thing out for him. I could tell there were little nuances about the way in which he spoke. Right, mm -hmm. I, there was a time in which he said, "Well," and I was like, "Okay." There, there were little things that he would say, and I could tell that his pedigree was not what he openly portrayed. 
right? You could tell that he had been raised well, right? And not just the Christian piece. There were just other things that he would say, like, why do, why do black people always have to be extra? Why do we always have to stand out? Why do we always have to do the right thing? Like, why can't we just be? And it was one of those situations where, to me, that let me know that he had dealt with his blackness in the space that was different for her. He was comfortable in, in, in that blackness where she wasn't. And when you would see them in this space where it was the safe black space, that's where she was most comfortable. And he was most uncomfortable hmm. because of that pedigree. He wasn't comfortable in the juke joint. He was like, eh. you get to uncle's house and he's like, okay, this is different, but um, all right, I'm gonna I'm thug it out because this, this is what we're doing. <laughs> I'm in Rome. Let me get this plate, you know what I'm saying? And I'm going to act like, you know, I'm in prison with it. You know, he had a little lean. He was getting, he was getting into that catfish. Um, <laughs> but it was, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it was. He was in it. He was in it. Um, but then when you saw him at, um, I think, Flea's house, the way in which he was eating was totally different. Every time you saw that man eat, you saw her looking at him like, mm you're not doing the right thing. You are living up to the stereotype, right? Like you, you eating too black, right? <laughs> right? Like the, I mean, like the foolishness, the eternal oppression that we, that we kind of think of. But in that space, when he got to fleas, he was like napkin with it and walking. He was, he was, he was getting down in a different kind of way. And it was one of those situations where you watch them conform to the space. In a way that created either that said, I'm relaxed, I can breathe, or like I literally have bated breath because I don't know how this is going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yo, y'all have given so much more insight <laughs> and perspective than I was even. Yeah, I, I, I would not have uh, looked at the movie as critically without this conversation. So I personally. I'm appreciative of having you all on the show today, and I'm sure that the the listeners are as well. So, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up before we close, I should have brought I should have brought this up at the beginning of the episode. Um, so, one question that they asked, which I think we should ask today. Um, so, skinny Luther or fat Luther? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Niggas give me this look. <laughs> I mean, we got nobody shaming fat Luther or skinny Luther, but I mean, I accept Luther the way he shows up, and I and I like Big Luther. I mean, I want to be healthy, but I like Big Luther. I would. Yeah, yeah. I would okay, so the real question, the real question I want to ask. So, well, uh, the, what I really want to bring up, and I mentioned this before we got on, was that. There was some um, some symbolism that I that I, I was like, yo, that, they definitely did this in Get Out. That was also in where I, well, it was a recurring theme in a recurring image, recurring imagery in Get Out, whereas it only came up once in Queen and Slim, um, and it was when they were trying to leave Flea's house. And the black officer found them, let them go. And then his white partner asked him, he was like, so what was the sound? Uh, he was like, oh, nothing. And he's like, you're right. It was just nature. And he, but then he said, it, well, he said, I saw a couple deer 
caught in some branches and I let him go. Mm -hmm. And so when I looked back, I was like, I was like, I know, I was like, I know they, they use deer a lot in, in Get Out. Um, do either of y'all remember what the deer stood for in the other movie? Mm. Oh, great. I looked it up. So, <laughs> so deer in, in Get Out represented innocence and how the, the, the innocent deer were either one, one was killed in the beginning of the movie. The, the antagonist, the crazy family, they had, um, it's not a bust if it's an animal, but they had like stuffed deer all over the place to show that that's how they got down. We kill innocents. Um, and then kind of some retribution later on in the film when, um, I can't remember Daniel Kaluuya's character's name. I always call him Get Out. Um, when he used the, the head of the deer mm-hmm. to, to take care of his assailants and, and get out. Um, and then when, he, when the officer said, I saw a couple of deer, and I was like, that means something. I was like, I can't remember what that deer means, but it represents something. I know they, 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 he put, they put that in there on purpose. And so deer represents um, innocence. And he, I was basically that the officer's way, or at least the writer's way of saying that the police officer saw the two innocent people, two innocent people stuck. They were trapped. And, and what do you do when you see innocent people who are stuck and trapped? You do what's right. You let them go mm-hmm. and you, and you set them free. So I wanted to bring that up. Did y'all notice that? Uh, I, I I didn't think about the connection between between Get Out, uh, but immediately you know the saying like a deer caught in headlights like that's immediately what came to mind uh, because like when he opened the garage like the way both of them like stared at him eyes wide like li- literally like they were caught in headlights yes. frozen didn't know what to do and yeah he made the decision of you know like the innocence like I'm gonna let you go uh, and then for him to to say that afterwards you know, to say that afterward, yeah, I saw two deer, uh, they were stuck, I let them go free, you know, they were stuck in branches, I let them go free, uh, like, that's what connected with me, I didn't even think about the connection between Get Out. Yeah. Cool, so before we close, what are some other, uh, Shanika, share your point, but then follow it up with, what, what are some other um, pieces of symbolism that I didn't bring up that, that stood out to you? Well, I didn't catch that, but just two deer, like, being stuck, it makes me think of you know, a deer has antlers and it can't help that, you know, it has antlers and being stuck in some situations. Like they were black. You cannot help how you show up, right? How you physically show up and how the environment creates traps, right? And so what do you do? And then people like trap, it's a whole lot going on with how people look at feed and then hunt deer, but I won't get into that. Um, In terms of symbolism, throughout the movie, what I loved, and not in connection with other movies, is how Slim, with his faith, just showed what it looked like to, be, to, to practice the faith, right? And how you don't have to beat people over the head with Jesus for them to see, oh, it's something to that. Like the way in which you're responding in the situation, right? Your ability to Jesus, self-regulate in this space is because of this faith, and I need a little bit of that, right? So he was able to model, you know, despite 
you know, some curse words here, there, because, ooh, you know, help me Jesus, right? But he was able to model what that looked like and how you would see her just shift, right? And so how he was able to let his light shine and how that was drawing, like, to me, that was, that was beautiful. That symbolism. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think another, maybe another piece of symbolism for me was, uh, well, I, I guess, I guess two I hit on really quickly, like, uh, but uh, we've mentioned freedom a lot, and it's sort of that question of, uh, so their ultimate goal was freedom, like, you know, in the end, we want to be able to get to this place, uh, so therefore we are free and we can live out our days, so the ultimate goal is freedom, uh, but it was very interesting, they did not attain that freedom but wondering if they noticed the pieces of freedom along the way that they did uh, interact with, because I think of uh, sort of like that freedom in space when they were in the black space. Uh, and then even that, that freeing sense of, you know, we haven't gotten to our ultimate goal yet, but uh, while we're in this hard time, like uh, what the joy that they had riding the horses, uh, you know, and even though like that was, there was plenty, they had like jump in the car and run off real quick, but like that sort of, that freeing moment of being like, you know, I'm riding a horse, like, this is cool. Uh, the freeing moment of um, when they were driving down the road and they each like took turns of sort of like getting outside the car or like, you know, as the car was going. Uh, so that was sort of like this this moment of freedom, freeing. Uh, and I mean, uh, I mean, for, for them, I don't know all of our listeners, but I think even, for some, it could be like that moment when they were when they were going to the plane. They hadn't reached their ultimate freedom, but I guess the for them maybe the relaxation of like chilling, like hitting the blunt, like that's not <laughs> that's not you know I'm not something I partake in. But but I could see how many would be like, it's oh, not no. endorsed by the Satan Wolf yeah, podcast. <laughs> but but you know with those things, I think those are pieces of that sort of that that freedom. Like we're we're doing this like along the way, um, and. Um, and I think of those, and in particular, really like the, from the horses to like the, the riding outside the car to some of like the, uh, at least some people they met along the way, it sort of makes us think of maybe that 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 walk with Christ, where I, I think all of us, our ultimate goal is to get to heaven. But I think maybe uh, this might be a bad analogy because they didn't quote unquote make it to heaven. So not, <laughs> we're not going to do that. But uh but, but you know, but, but in thinking truly of like the long journey uh, in terms of like making it to heaven, uh, I think sometimes it's like noticing those, maybe those blessings, those freeing moments, uh, those small pieces of heaven uh, that exist along the way. Uh, so making sure that we don't overlook those as we're focused on our main goal. Yeah. That, and, and trust, but I can get into trust a little bit later uh, if we're doing the, you say we'll talk a little more on something else. Uh, yeah, and it depends on time. I might have to be like, gotcha, gotcha. or something like that. But my final, final question um, is: so I think it's pretty obvious and really easy to talk about this film's value to the culture and to to black people in general and our just struggle for. Not, not, not so much acceptance, but just to be to be seen mm -hmm. as who we are. Mm 
which is human, which is beautiful, which is bright, which is flighty, sad. Sometimes we're out, um, where we, we should, sometimes we show we're just humans. And so is in our, in the full, the full array, the multifaceted nature of our human nature. Um, so I think that's pretty easy to, to describe. But what would you all say is this movie's value to believers and to the, the kingdom? I'll let y'all say with that first. I'll go ahead and give my answer first. So I've kind of already touched on this point, but well, I'll, I'll start with this. So as believers, as people who follow Christ, who claim to be followers of the true and living God, this God of justice and righteousness that we referred to before, We are supposed to be his ambassadors. We are the body of Christ. We are supposed to be his hands and feet. And what do your hands and feet do? They do the work, they move you about. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to work that justice. Um, but there is a history of race-based sin and iniquity that is not just in America, it's in the church. And there, Christ, you are, when you believe in the finished work of Christ, you are saved. And you are a, you are a believer. That, 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 that's, that's just, that's just the truth. But, in, but iniquity, which is not, because like you, you, you're, you're forgiven of your sins when you, um, when you come to believe, when you repent. Um, but that does not necessarily, that, that, that does not mean automatic freedom from your iniquity. And the iniquity I'm talking about is your father's, and by father's I mean your, your, your ancestor's history and your propensity to do wrong to people or to be okay with wrong done to people based off the color of their skin. And I think that this film would help because there's such a dehumanization of any non-white person. All right, and I say, you know, what well, dehuman? You can tell that someone's been dehumanized when you cannot relate to them, because, like you said, that that, that police officer did not see Slim as a, or, or did not see Queen and Slim as members of their community, so they were expendable, right? If you can't relate to somebody, it may, it's really easy to do stuff like that when you do not relate to someone, when you do not see them as equals, when you don't see them as human. I was like, someone was like, man, we get treated like animals. I'm like, bro, I wish we got treated like animals. <laughs> Yeah. I said they will be up in arms over a dog, and when like when um mm -hmm. when that gorilla uh, Harambe was was killed, I said it took one incident for that zoo to investigate the system and come out and and make a statement that said that they that there was that that one incident uh, revealed that there was a systemic systemic problems that need to be addressed, and they and they took care of that immediately all right because for whatever reason it seems like people can relate to these 
animals and um, superimpose their sense of self on animals better than they can better than they can do that same thing on other people just because of the color of their skin and i think i hope it convicts people i hope that when they see the humanity of these characters of queen and slim that there's that the cognitive dissonance begins to make them question and allow god to come into an area of their heart they never even knew needed to be worked out, to let the light shine in this corner um, so that they can more completely be ambassadors of righteousness and justice. I love that. Um, it makes me think of judgment, right? The level of judgment that lasted from, that began at the first date right, where she was judging him and he was judging her, and there probably wouldn't have been a second date, right, because you don't know people's story. You don't know what they've gone through. You don't know anything about them, um, down to how people either chose not to judge them or chose to judge them along, along the way. Um, and between the two of them, how when they were able to suspend those judgments, they were able to find love, right? And so, you know, how do we as believers take that bias off so that we don't judge people, right? So why do people have to justify themselves? Because we put a label on them and now they have to explain their way out of the label we put on them. But what if we allow people to, to be without labels? right, that we would, we would seek their story, that we would seek who they are, um, their truth, as opposed to assigning them our narrative. Um, so just really being there for one another, like be the example and stop judging. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't gonna mention this, but I really love that you said not giving people a label because I didn't, it was my sister that pointed this out to me after the movie. Like they did not use, we don't know their names until the very end mm -hmm. of the movie. And Queen of Slam is not their name. Um, but I think that just, one, is it helps the relatability um, and, and, and adds to the, their, their ability to serve as representations and um, like avatars for black, all black men and all black women. Mm -hmm. um, and even, even the name Queen and Slim, because Queen, like, what's the, what, what, what do people call black women? What do black women definitely call each other? <laughs> Queen. <laughs> and then a lot of times, uh, she said this as well, uh, you know, like older guys will often call younger guys like Ernest, which is was his real name, uh, Slim. Mm -hmm. That's just the name for, or, uh, or a term for, black woman and black man and so it added to the representation and I, and I like that even though they did get a label it was a label that represented everyone mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah now you had a thought yeah 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 i was just gonna say uh i mean for me i think uh when we think of like as as believers like what does this mean mm -hmm. really what sort of jumps out is uh 
you never know what you mean to other people. Uh, and I and I think of that like you know during like during our walk and everything. Uh, like of course, like yes, we're you know we're doing this audience of one. You know we're doing we're doing this for God, doing this for uh, you know doing this for our God where we're trying to get to. Uh, but we still can't help the fact of like what others see in us, and so and that's sort of a good and bad because uh, you know when we're doing this, we have to realize okay, uh, whether, I, whether I'm doing it on purpose, whether or not, like I might be focused on this, but there are people looking at me. So to an extent, uh, maybe I'm a role model for others, you know? And so uh, along my path, when I fall to an extent, it's a lot of pressure, but I didn't, maybe I didn't just fall myself. That could cause someone else to fall or that could just cause maybe the way, you know, the way they look at me or the way that they think, because it could be, but look, so-and-so is a Christian and they doing this, so it's gonna be fine if I do this. Uh, and I think also the different aspects that we also cannot control of what they see of us, uh, because I can imagine, uh, you know, if we're, we're walking the path. There may be some, some sect of people that see us as, you know, this person, you know, they're calling out so-and-so, uh, you know, they're, they're this, they're that. So maybe they're saying what, if it's not done correctly, they're saying maybe the negative aspects and someone else could be saying, Oh yeah, I, I see the same person, and yeah, I see them. You know, they uh, they they feed the hungry. They do this great thing, this and that. Um, and I just mentioned that because even within this story, uh, you see uh, by what they did along their path, like they caused a lot of people to just believe in a better day and just believe in things. While at the same time, they couldn't control. That what the uh, the young man who ended up killing the cop, uh, who you know, uh, when there was this sort of the protest going on, and he and the young man shot the cop in the head, they couldn't control that. Like for many people, many people they just found hope. They found hope in them that like, hey, we can be treated differently. We can stand up to the police, and by standing up, that's like, hey, stop shooting us. We're people too. The young man saw that, but then even then, he 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 was able to sort of glean from it maybe the violence that led to that, and so he ended up killing a cop. Uh, and so with that, you know, once again, we don't know what we mean to people because they said from the beginning themselves, uh, or they didn't say it, but I'm sorry, but you could tell like they were not doing any of this to be heroes, to be role models, to uh, to instill hope in others. They were literally trying to survive, uh, but yet others found hope in them. And like I said, even some of those other aspects. Uh, so yeah, that makes me think of like our, you know, along along our walk. I would think of many of us if we're doing it for the right reasons. We're not being like I'm. I'm on this walk of faith, uh, so I can be popular, so I can you know be this and that. Uh, but still, you know, some people they're going to take pieces. Uh, they're going to see us, uh, and so we never truly know what we mean to other people. Mm. Wow, y'all, that was good. All right, so like I said, I don't want this to get go for too much longer. There's definitely a lot I want to get a lot more I get into, but that'll be like I said in the in the bonus material for for the um, for the Patreons. Um, but right now, let's just go to the Lord in prayer. So, Lord God, thank you for this conversation. I thank you for this movie, Lord God. Even though it was definitely a secular film by secular. Um, with secular cast and probably production team and um, screenwriter. Um, just thank you for the value that's in it. Um, you are a God of justice. And we just thank you for 
what we can glean from this film. We thank you, Lord God, for what we can learn. And by we, I mean all believers, how, how we can learn to approach justice, how we can learn to see people who we may not have previously thought of as like us, as like us, as we can see them deserving of mercy, of grace, of understanding, of being listened to, Lord God. Help us to, to do that more and more, Lord God, until we can truly look at all your children, look at all your creation and see and recognize that they are equal, that we are all equal bearers of, of your image. Help us to, Shanika asked a question earlier, how do we get from, go from injustice to justice? And that's definitely a situational, it, 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 it depends on the situation, but you in the Bible have shown us, you have, you have gone from injustice to justice. When your people were enslaved for, for 400 years and they, you heard their cry, and from that injustice, you created justice. You made, a, you literally made a way for them through a huge body of water, through the Red Sea, for them to get to justice. And before they left, you made sure that there was uh, some reconciliation that took place. They didn't go empty-handed. They left um, with 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 the riches of the nation that have wronged them, Lord God. So even though even when we don't know how to go from injustice to justice, we know who does, the God of justice. So help us to go to you, Lord God. It's very easy to become hopeless in these situations, but you are also the God of hope, Lord. So please encourage us, Lord God. Help us to truly lean on you, Lord God, and to depend on your grace, your mercy, your your sovereignty, Lord to get us through, not our anger, even when it is righteous indignation, Lord God, we can't, we can't rely on that. And we can't even, we can't even rely on the intellect that, that you gave us. We have to be spirit led to truly, we cannot, there's no, like you are the God of justice and there's no way we're gonna get real justice without God. So help us to realize that and help us to put you at the forefront of, racial reconciliation of um, systematic restructuring, Lord God, and if, um, put you at the head of all the moves that we make. In Jesus' mighty name, we call it done. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank you all so much. And to all my wonderful listeners, y'all already know what to do. Until next time, keep the faith and stay woke. Well.